1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first five verses. So the scripture reading came from 1 Corinthians and now uh, chapter 1 and now 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 to 5. And this evening, I'm almost done with a series on the Holy Spirit. I checked my list and what I thought and prayed about and planned. And so I think maybe about five sermons left. And this evening then on on preaching, Spirit-filled preaching. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace to help us in a time of need. We pray for the instruction of the Holy Spirit and also for the grace and the power of the Spirit to work upon our hearts under the proclamation of your most holy word, sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray, Spirit of the Lord, would you cut and wound and heal with the sword of the Spirit your word. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, spiritual preaching is not passionate noise. Now, I'm a loud preacher. I get all excited about things, but you can be a calm and composed preacher and still preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you an example in church history in 1700s. In Northampton in New England, in the United States, there was a preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards, now it's not quite true, like some people portray this, they said he would stand with the candle in his left hand and the pulpit notes in his right hand, his sermon notes, and right up to his nose because he couldn't see well and he would read the entire sermon and a revival broke out. That's not true. There was a revival under Edwards' preaching, But he wasn't a boring preacher. He wasn't someone who just read the notes and never looked up. He was quite an animated preacher, not lively and loud, with passionate noise. Very calm, but deeply serious about the holiness of God and the glory of God. And people were so moved and gripped. There was a revival and the the word of God did come with power. So what do we mean when we talk about spirit-filled preaching? E.M. Bounds says, God is put into His Word under spirit-filled preaching. God is put into the heart of the preacher and God is put into the listeners. And they are so moved under the preaching of the Word. And the preacher himself is so moved, it's like he's standing back and watching the whole thing take place. Spiritual preaching is like Jesus said, it's, it's, I, can, I can illustrate it in this way, it's like the preacher comes to drink from the river of life, from the fountain of life, and he's so filled that it superflows, and the water of life flows out of his inside, says John 7 verse 38, and verse 39 says that's referring to the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit so comes with power and with life that all the words of this preacher as he's preaching the Bible, people are transformed. There's life under the preaching of the word. The desert is turned into a flowery paradise, into a fruitful field. So let me put this to you in a concrete illustration of a man by the name of Hywell Griffiths in Wales. And I think this, is, this must be the 
50s in Wales. And this is told by a Welsh preacher by the name of Stuart Olliot. So he tells the story of Hywel Griffiths and his mother said, you must come and hear this preacher. But he was a student in those days. He couldn't go. And then the next year he had the opportunity to go to his mother's church where this guy was preaching. He said the sermons were quite lengthy, quite long sermons, full of illustrations, full of applications, full of the Bible. But he said there was something else. There was in, an invisible influence. There was, it's almost tangible, the power of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit under the preaching. That as this man preached, the, un, the invisible world becomes more real to you than the visible world. And not to believe in Jesus Christ is indescribably foolish. And people, after the sermon, they sat in stunned silence under the sheer power of the Word of God. And people couldn't move. And there were people weeping. And there were people quiet. And then spontaneous prayer, some people praying. Many became Christians. And those who were already saved... Their lives were changed forever under such preaching. That's what we mean when we talk about spiritful preaching. So let us read the text and see this kind of preaching. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So first of all, we're going to look at the content of spiritful preaching, the inert van Geest vervulde prediking, verse 1 and 2, that I just read for us. Now, you go and check a bit of background. Paul is in the city of Corinth. This is a letter to them later on. But when Paul was at that city, and he started preaching in that church, he started as he usually did in the Jewish synagogue, the Jewish place of worship. And Paul reasoned with the Jews and with Greeks who attended the synagogue. And he mustered all his arguments. And he brought all the arguments from the Old Testament, showing them the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, about the Christ. And then he shows them the life of Jesus. And then he matches the two and says, it's undeniable. Jesus is that Christ. Jesus is that Messiah. You must believe in him. And Paul preached there with power. You can read that in Acts 18, verse 4 and 5, as he brings the word. Now, Paul was a very learned man. He was a man who studied, you could say today he had a PhD. The Apostle Paul studied at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a very wise Jewish rabbi. He says that in Acts chapter 22, in verse 3. Paul could have quoted the Greek philosophers. In fact, he did quote some Greek poets. In Acts 17, 28, in Titus 1, verse 12, Paul knew these things. But he ignored Socrates. The Greek philosophers of 300 years earlier. He ignored Aristotle in his preaching. He ignored Plato. That's not what he was on to. The Apostle Paul, when he preached, he preached, says verse 1, I didn't come with lofty speech. I didn't come with all this wisdom. I came to you proclaiming the testimony of God. I came to you preaching God's testimony about His Son, Jesus Christ. 
that this is the Son of God. Paul didn't, what Kurs read for us in chapter 1, he didn't come with all of this worldly wisdom. He came with the Word of Christ, who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He came with the message of the cross, the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the Holy Spirit blesses that. The Holy Spirit doesn't only bless it because of the content, because you can find pastors who preach the word rightly, but they're living in sin. And God will not bless that. The Holy Spirit will not put His blessing on it. That's like the Pharisees, where Jesus said, when they speak, listen to what they say, because they sit in Moses' chair. They're reading the law of God to you, but do not do what they do, because they preach, but they do not practice. Matthew 23, verse 2 and 3. What we want is what Paul said to Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. First on your own life and on the doctrine, the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing you will save, you will save yourself as well as your hearers. Apart from that, the Holy Spirit will not bless the preaching, even though you preach it right. And if the Holy Spirit does bless that preaching, then it's not because of the preacher. It's in spite of the preacher. He blesses His Word. That's what he will do. Spurgeon gives an example of this. He speaks of a man who was well known in England who saw many people converted under his preaching. But it wasn't because of him, it was in spite of him. Because that man did not pray. And the Lord showed it to him one day. And he showed it very clearly to this preacher. He said, it's, these converts are not in answer to your prayers and your preaching. It's because there's a poor old man, he's not even educated, and he's sitting at the steps of the pulpit, and he prays for your preaching. So he will be rewarded because he built with gold and silver and precious stones, gemstones. You just built with wood, hay, and stubble. So it's in spite of that that the Lord blesses that. You see, God blesses the preacher who not only preaches Christ, but who lives Christ. As we see in verse 2, where Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the one who prays. It's the preacher who prays for the blessing of the Spirit to come upon the, the people under the preaching of the Word. There's the blessing of the Holy Spirit. The one who lives Christ, the one who preaches Christ. With the Apostle Paul, where Paul says, for me to live is Christ. It will come upon the preacher who does John 15, 17. Yosha, this sermon of yours just goes on and on. In John 15, verse 7, where Jesus says that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Whatever you will. You see that the preacher abides in the word. The preacher prays the word. And then comes verse 16. You did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you that you may go out and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give to you. So there's prayer. There's preaching. There's abiding in Christ. There is faith. And that is what the Holy Spirit will bless. So yes, the preacher should study. And he should study hard. Ezra 7 verse 10. Ezra devoted himself to study the law of the Lord, to obey it and to teach its rules and statutes in Israel. Timothy says the apostle to his young friend, chapter 2, uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, do, <coughs> do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Timothy, you work hard at studying, but if you're going to stop there, you're in trouble. We want preachers not only studying. We want preachers 
says the word of God to us, who call upon the Lord for the power of the Spirit, who pray, how much more will your heavenly Father give, you the, Holy, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We want Spirit-filled preachers, according to Ephesians 5.18, filled with the Holy Spirit. We want preachers. He's not only in the Word, the Word is in Him. The Word of Christ dwells in Him richly. So it's not the kind of study that liberal scholars do, that liberal theologians do. You see, the liberal scholar, the one who doesn't really believe the Bible, he's just in the Bible and studying, 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 but he's trusting his own wisdom. He who trusts in his own mind is a fool, says Proverbs 28 verse 26. We do not, we do not rely on our own insights. We rely on the insight and the wisdom of God, and that only the Holy Spirit can give to the preacher. What we want is men who will meditate on the word. All the day your word is my meditation, says the psalmist, 119.97. We want preachers who pray the blessing of God, who ask, open my eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law. We want preachers who pray day and night. We want preachers who pray without ceasing. We want preachers who, who ask their people to pray. Pray that the word of God may speed ahead. <clears throat> We want preachers who pray and meditate until the Word of God burns like a fire in their bones. They cannot hold it back. You cannot hold them down. You cannot shut them up. They want to preach the Word. Like Jeremiah. I don't want to continue preaching. People are persecuting me, says Jeremiah. But I cannot hold it in. I must preach. Give me a pulpit. If you don't give me a pulpit, I'll go into the fields. I'll preach the gospel. I'll go to the streets. To preach the word. We want, we want preachers who are clothed with the Holy Spirit. Who are clothed with power from on high. As Jesus says. Before they go out. And why does the Spirit do it that way? Why will He bless such kind of preaching and not the other? The reason is. He does that so that we will not be in awe. And say oh your exegetical skills. Oh your persona. What a charismatic personality. Or we so in awe because you're such an elo eloquent speaker. And we trust in men. And they praise, they praise men then instead of praising God. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will purposefully withhold the blessing from the preacher and from the church. Until that preacher learns, the preacher learns to humble himself before God, not to trust his, his cleverness, not to trust his, his intellect, not to trust his training, not to trust his brilliant knowledge, not to trust his great mind, <clears throat> not to trust his, his zeal or his arguments or his eloquence or his reasoning powers, but to realize that all of those things, you can have all of those things, you will not move a single sinner from his seat, you will not change a single heart, you will not remove a heart of stone and give someone a heart of flesh. You can master all your power. You will not move anyone. It's the Spirit of God who does that. And the preacher needs to be on his knees. God will humble him until he learns that. Drive him to his knees in prayer. That he can see man's problem is not intellectual. Atheists usually are very intelligent people. You cannot move their hearts with all your reasoning powers, all your arguments. Man's problem is not intellectual. His problem is moral. He's got a rotten heart, rotten to the core. And only the Spirit of God can change that. All my powers, all my arguments, bring them. You will not move the sinner's hearts. They are powerless against a tank, against a, a concrete wall. 
So the preacher then learns, I need to pray day and night. The preacher then learns, I need to come to the Lord. And then that preacher, once he has prayed and he comes from the place of prayer, from the mount of prayer, from the closet of prayer, he moves to verse 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And he brings Christ to the people. When he says, I decided to know it, literally the Greek means to see and understand, to see and perceive. I see Christ. I want to live Christ. Now I want to know this Christ. And I want to make Him known to people through the preaching of the Word. Chapter 123, we preach Christ and Him crucified. But not only preaching Him, showing Him to people. Chapter 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Chapter 4, 16 and 17, imitate me, Timothy. Or as Timothy imitated me, I want you to imitate me. Follow Christ. So He shows the Lord Jesus. And not just preaching a Jesus, like the liberals preach Jesus. You see, the liberals preach Jesus as a good example. That's all. We believe Jesus is a good example. The perfect example. But we don't only preach Jesus as an example. Oh, look what Jesus did. You try the same. You'll never get it right. You need it by the power of Christ Himself to be transformed by faith in Jesus Christ. So we don't preach only Jesus merely as a good example. We preach Christ crucified. Jesus who died for our sins, says chapter 15, verse 3. We preach His name is Jesus. You shall call Him Jesus, for it is He who will save His people from their sins. Now when we, when we read in verse 2, we preach this Christ and Him crucified. That word crucified in the Greek is in a perfect tense. That means it is done. It is finished. It is in the past. It's been done and dealt with, but it has an effect in the present. So it's not just a crucified Jesus we think about. This crucified Jesus changes, changes our lives here and now. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It is this crucified Jesus past tense. Crucified, it's done. He's no longer dead. He's the risen Christ. He's the living Christ. So He can change my life. He gives me the privileges. He gives me the benefits of the cross through faith in the preaching of the gospel. Chapter 1 verse 18. For us who believe, who are being saved, this word of the cross is the power of God. Faith comes by hearing and what we hear is the message of Christ. We hear the word of Christ. He changes us. That does not mean that any preacher who preaches Christ crucified will be blessed. Because Philippians 1 verse 15 to 18 speaks of preachers who preach Christ but from wrong motives. Oh, God may be blessed. He'll bless the message Christ will be preached, but He will not bless those preachers. They got wrong motives in the proclamation of Jesus Christ. God wants preachers who does verse 2. They preach Christ. They know Christ. They live Christ. They pray. This is their desire. And then the Spirit will come and He will work with power. So where verse 2 happens, verse 4 will happen. Where verse 2 happens, Christ crucified, verse 4 will happen, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and with power. That's how the Word will come because the Holy Spirit blesses 
where Christ is lifted up, where Christ is glorified. Did Jesus not say, he will glorify me? It reminds me of a story Martin Holt once told us. He said he had this elder. This elder came from a charismatic background, Pentecostal background. And then he joined wherever this Baptist church was. But he joined. And Martin said he used, this elder used to say things in a way. Martin said, I wouldn't say it that way. But the elder was to preach, I think it's the Neen Baptist Church or something. And he said, Martin, I started preaching. And I preached and I preached. And when I got onto Jesus Christ, when I preached Christ, he used these words, the Holy Spirit just climbed in. He said, I wouldn't say it that way, but it was true. The Holy Spirit just took over because the Spirit wants to glorify the Son of God. He wants to glorify Jesus Christ. If this ever happens in our church, and anyone listening online, if you at a church and your pastor is not preaching Jesus, he's not preaching Christ and exalting the Son of God, then you come to the preacher, be it me, be it Yosha, be it Kurs, be it whoever. Then you come to the preacher and you say, Sir, we want to see Jesus. You are robbing us of a blessing. Show us Christ. Paint Christ for us. Picture Christ for us. We want to see the Son of God, wounded, hands and feet pierced, wound in His side, crown of thorns, water and blood flowing out of His side, life, eternal life. Give us Jesus, sir. Do not preach this nonsense to us. Give us Christ. Give us, verse 2, a preacher who decides to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the same old story. Tell it to me again and again. I want to hear all about Jesus. Second, so that was the content of spirit-filled preachings. All about Christ and His Word. Second, the power of spirit-filled preaching. That's verse 3 to 5. Now Paul says in verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Why did Paul come to the church in this way? Well, he's had a lot of trials. When he gets to Corinth, to this city, in Acts 18, there's Acts 16 and there's Acts 17 before that. And there's Acts 15. So him and a good friend of his, they've parted ways, Paul and Barnabas, because they had a disagreement. Acts 16, they've been thrown into prison. They'd been whipped. Things weren't so nice there. Acts 17, the Jews oppose him in Thessalonica. And then Acts 17, he has to flee from Thessalonica. Then he gets to Berea. Then those same Jews, he is in the next city. They come there and they make maracas. <laughs> they cause trouble. And Paul again has to flee. He comes to the city of Athens. He doesn't see much fruit. People don't really believe these Greek philosophers with all their uh, clever talk. And so that doesn't go down well. Sees a few converts. Then he comes to Corinth. And then when he gets to Corinth, that doesn't go too well. There are many people who are converted, not at first, starts preaching. The Jews don't want to listen. Eventually, the Jews oppose Paul publicly. And then Paul leaves the synagogue. He goes to the house next door. The Jews get jealous. And then I, I can just imagine what happened to Paul. He's really discouraged. Acts 18, 9 and 10. He wants to stop preaching. And 
And Jesus says, don't stop. Jesus appears to him at night in a vision. Jesus says, don't stop. You keep on preaching. There's still many people in this city. They're my sheep. They need to come in. <clears throat> They're my people. And then the Jews, for a year and a half, he keeps on preaching. There have been a lot of conversions. The church is growing. And then the, the Jews attack him. But they're not successful. So you can think of all this discouragement for Paul when he comes to Corinth, verse 3 again, I was with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. And then add to this some other problems. So the apostle Paul, he knows his own weakness. He remembers his own sin, how he persecuted Christians, how he hated Jesus before he was a Christian. And this light comes back to him again and he realizes what grace that God ever saved me. And then he calls himself, not I was the chief of sinners, I am the chief of sinners. In 1 Timothy 1.15. And add to this your own incompetence. You have to stand before people. You, although God is in control of eternal destiny, but you as a preacher, you have to preach and it's like this is on the knife's edge. People are going to fall this way or that way when I preach. Some people are going to reject it. They're going to go to hell forever. This is a big thing. The weight on your shoulders as a preacher so Paul says in 1, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 16, who's sufficient for these things? Who can do these things? It's like I preach. It's, a, it's the saver from death to death for some or life to life for others. John Piper says it's like Sunday morning you wake up, you can almost see the smoke rising from hell on the one side and feel the crisp breezes of heaven on the other side when you preach. Heaven and hell, demons and angels are watching in suspense. What's going to happen? Wow, what a responsibility. You come as a preacher with that. And add to that the trembling. You come, you're going to preach the holy word of God. You come with humility before the word. You come with trembling before the word. You as a preacher of God's word, you're going to give an account of the people you preach to. Hebrews 13, 17. As we said this morning, you shall, we will be judged with the greatest strictness. James 3, verse 1. Martin Holt again told us the story of, of an elder who preached at a church. The preacher wasn't there. Martin was there. This guy, I don't know what the story, but Martin Holt prayed with this man before the sermon. And when he said, Amen, he says, this man was shivering and shaking like this. His hands were shaking. And Martin said, what's wrong? He said, this responsibility. I have to preach the word of God. John Knox said, I never once feared the devil. I tremble every time I enter the pulpit. And that's what, what drove Paul to the Lord. It drove him to the Lord to say, I cannot do this. Who is sufficient for these things? 2 Corinthians 2, 16. Chapter 3, verse 5. Our sufficiency is of God. God, make, God equips us. Running to the Lord. So verse 3, fear and trembling leads to verse 4. That's why there was power. Because he knew his own weakness. He needed the strength of Christ. Needed the power of the Spirit in the, in the pulpit, in the preaching. So temptations, trials, sufferings, persecutions, this big responsibility of preaching the Word, thinking of judgment, I'm going to give an account, that's a good thing for a preacher. Drives him to the Lord. Say, Lord, I can't do this. Drives him on his knees. Drives him to Christ. And then after the preaching, it makes him say, I will boast in the Lord. Whatever good God did through me in the preaching, it wasn't me, I know. I'm weak. It was him. 
Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord, chapter 131. You see, the self-confident preacher, the self-confident pastor, is usually a prayerless pastor. He thinks he can do this. I've got this. I've got this all together. He's the prayerless pastor, and a pastor like that shouldn't be a pastor. A preacher like that shouldn't be in the pulpit. Because he's self-confident, he's overconfident. And what is he trusting to change people's lives? He's trusting manipulation. He's trusting feelings of guilt. He's trusting scaring people. He's trusting bullying people. He's trusting bribing people. He's trusting his own elegance. He's trusting his powers of intellect. He's trusting his training. He's trusting his sermon notes. He's trusting whatever, but he's not trusting the Holy Spirit. It's like these Greek philosophers. Oh, all their wisdom. Verse 1. Oh, lofty speech and wisdom. Verse 4, my speech and message were not implausible words of wisdom. Not like these Greek philosophers. Not like your adverts on TV or on YouTube, where the adverts, they know how to advertise. They know how to advertise in order for you, to get you to buy their product. And some pastors are the same. Some preachers are the same. They'll use any tactic to manipulate. Even... even uh, an example in church history of a man, <coughs> I'll, I'll mention his name, maybe he had some good points, but a lot of bad, and that's Charles Finney, where Charles Finney would trust manipulation skills, letting the music play, continuing the altar call, do it again, do it again, try to manipulate people, whatever, to get them to come to the front to make a profession of faith. And I'm not saying that Finney never saw the work of the Spirit. I'm just saying we don't trust those skills. The Apostle Paul himself, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, <coughs> and verse 10, his preaching wasn't great. His style of speaking wasn't great. He, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 6, he says, I'm not skilled in speaking, maybe, but I am skilled in knowledge. I know the Lord, and I know His Word. So they, they slandered Paul and say he's not a great public speaker. Paul doesn't care. His words didn't come with all these Greek, this Greek wisdom. His words came in the power of the Spirit of God. And that's why people's lives were changed under the preaching. <coughs> you see, they're the clever pastor. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be a clever pastor. I'm just saying it's very easy to trust your intellect. It's very easy to trust your, your brilliance. Paul didn't trust that. Verse 4, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. If you trust your own wisdom, you know what's going to happen. You trust your intellect. What's going to happen is people will believe your message until someone smarter than you comes along. It's just got better arguments than you. He trumps you. And then they don't believe your message anymore. Now, I'm not saying that a preacher should be boring and use bad arguments and be stupid. I'm not saying that at all. If the preacher is boring, it means the Word of God hasn't moved his own heart. And if he uses weak arguments, it means he's not preaching the Word of God. Because we have... Weapons that destroy strongholds. We have weapons that will cast down every thought raised up against the knowledge of God. We have strong arguments in the Word of God. So yes, we preach it, and yes, we preach it passionately. 1 verse 19, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. But what we trust is the Spirit and His Word. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the intentions of the thoughts of the heart. 
<coughs> we trust the spirit to bring it. We trust the, the preacher or we listen to the preacher who says, I want that. Who thinks over the word of God and he trusts. Yes, I have to study, but yes, I trust the Lord to give me understanding in all things. We want preachers who are like Jacob, who will wrestle with God and say, I will not let you go until you bless me, O Lord. Like Robert Bruce or like Moses. Moses said, I'm not going to the promised land unless you go with me. We want preachers like that saying, Lord, I do not want to enter that pulpit unless you go with me. Robert Bruce in Scotland in the 1500s, he was due to preach at a village and they were waiting and waiting and waiting and Robert Bruce wasn't there and it's now time for the service to start. And they send the young girl and say, go and look for our preacher. And she goes to the house where the preacher is and she comes back and she says, he's talking to someone. And they say, well, fetch him. She said, I can't. It sounds serious. You have to fetch him. Tell him he must come. The service must start. She said, I heard him say, I will not go unless you go with me. And they said, okay, leave him. <laughs> He's busy praying. We need that. And then the, the Robert Bruce comes and he preaches with such power. The word comes like dynamite and like sugar. <laughs> People are thrilled and moved and in awe of God, knowing this preacher had been with God before he stepped into the pulpit. We want preachers, as one man said, we want preachers like Elijah. We want preachers, they build the altar, they slaughter the ox, they put the animal on the altar, but there's no fire. Oh, you've done all the preparation, the altar is built, the ox is slaughtered, where's the fire? Where's the fire? Then we need preachers like Elijah who call on God. I've done my duty, Lord, I call upon you, send the fire. I've prepared my sermon, Lord. I wasn't a lazy preacher. I did the study. I did the praying. I call upon you, send the fire. Send the Spirit in power to change lives under the preaching. We need preachers like Spurgeon with every step, 15 steps up to the pulpit in Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Every step Spurgeon said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And what will happen then is we will not have Preachers, and I'm not criticizing entirely a full manuscript, but I do want to wean you off it. I preached from a full manuscript for many years. I don't want that anymore. I want freedom in the pulpit, not just reading the entire thing and so stick to the notes. You want shorted or summarized notes where you come because when you step into the pulpit, when you preach, God knows who will be there. The Lord knows who will come. The Lord knows a particular instance and He changes your illustration on the spot. You said something you didn't plan to say. You bring, he brings into your mind another verse that you didn't even think of saying. And the other verse comes and it's exactly what someone needs. Or an application that cuts right into the heart. There's an example of this in the life of Martin Holt again. Sorry for all the Martin Holt illustrations. I think he was a spiritual preacher. Martin Holt, in his biography... There's a story where on a given Sunday evening he's preaching, but what he doesn't know is that someone who is not a believer, I, I almost think the guy was an atheist, but I need to recheck the biography, but he's definitely not a believer. And so they'd been praying for this man, and this Sunday night the man comes to church. He didn't come, but that night he came. And that atheist or unbeliever, he prayed before. And he said, Lord, 
If you are real, let Martin Holt preach on death tonight and let him make an invitation. Martin never made an altar call. And that, Ma Ma that night Martin Holt preached on death. And after the service he said, I'm, I, I don't it's not my custom to make altar calls, an invitation. But I want to make an invitation tonight. If you're not right with God, I want to ask you to come to the front. I want to pray for you. And that man came. And he got saved. You see, the Spirit knows that. So if I just got my full manuscript and I'm reading word for word and not veering, not moving left or right from that, Spirit wants to move. Spirit wants to work. We want preaching like that. Where the word is preached in the power of the Spirit of God. According to verse 4, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. We want 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but in the Holy Spirit and with power. What does that mean? Demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Is he talking about miracles? Maybe. Maybe. Acts 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And you see the apostles, Acts 4, where the church prays and they say, Lord, Lord, through signs and wonders, show the power of Christ, of the risen Lord. And then you go on and you see, they go out preaching the message and it says, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to Christ. And then in Acts 13 you see Paul and there's a miracle. The man is struck with blindness, that magician. And then the governor of the island says, I need to open my ears. Tell me again about this Jesus. And then they share the gospel and the man gets saved. So maybe it's talking about miracles. Some people say no, it's probably not talking about miracles because, because Paul said in chapter 1 verse 22, the Jews want to see signs. But we preach Christ crucified. The Greeks want wisdom, the Jews signs. We preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the, to the Greeks. So maybe not, maybe. Or perhaps Paul just means the same kind of thing you find in, in 1 Corinthians 14. 24 and 25, you walk into the church. The gift of prophecy is operating. Someone gives a prophecy. The guy sitting there, it's like his heart is cut open. How did you know those things about me? I didn't. So maybe Paul's talking about that kind of preaching where the preacher preaches and the sword of the Spirit comes and the Spirit so moves or he gives an illustration or an application you didn't even think of. It wasn't in the notes. <laughs> and then the word comes and the man is so cut into his, cut in his heart. You think that's me. That's exactly me. What the preacher said that, that's me. Who told him? demonstration of the spirit and of power and the effect then when the when the preaching comes like that no one sleeps no one sleeps under the preaching there's a definite division a definite divide as the word is preached in the power of the spirit the sword cuts and either you reject christ 
or you bow your face to the earth and you worship Christ. There's no in-between. There's no, no, I couldn't care less. I'm just leaving. I've got stuff to do at Sunday afternoon. None of that. The, the word has come decisively and powerfully. So, Mr. Preacher, talking to myself and the other men, all your clever arguments, it won't make a dent in the sinner's heart. It won't make a dent. It won't move anyone. Bring your arguments. People might be impressed by your intellect. Their lives are not going to change. They will not be transformed. We want preachers again who say with the apostles in Acts 6 verse 4, we will devote ourselves, not give a little time, a teeny weeny. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's where our time will go. We will preach by God's grace, trusting the Spirit that He will open Lydia's heart to pay attention to what is being said by Paul. That He will open the person's heart to say, I must listen. Preachers who realize Satan is blinding the eyes of unbelievers, they will not listen. It takes a miracle from heaven to shine light into the darkened heart and to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If that doesn't happen, you know what's going to follow. Well, verse 5 is going to follow. People, their faith will rest in the wisdom of men, not in the power of God. They will trust you, and that will be a disaster. If people start believing in the preacher, that is a disaster because the preacher cannot sanctify. He cannot change people. He cannot make them obedient. He cannot make them holy. He cannot convert. He cannot bring a new heart to the sinner. He can make no one a new creature in Christ. That's why Paul, he wants nothing to do with himself. He says, I turn all my attention away from human wisdom. I want to show you Christ. I want to show you Christ and Him crucified. Point to Jesus. Point to Jesus. He's the power of God. He's the wisdom of God. He's our righteousness, our redemption, our sanctification. Chapter 124, chapter 1, verse 30, chapter 1, verse 18. Don't look at Apollos. Don't look at Peter. Don't look at Paul. Don't say Peter is my favorite preacher or Rolf is my favorite preacher or I don't come when either preachers or whatever. Look to Christ. Look away from the preacher. But then gentlemen preaching, we must show them Christ. And we must do it in the power of the Spirit. We must do it in the power of prayer. Otherwise people will be bored and fall asleep. Without the Holy Spirit, it is very easy for us to idolize preachers. I have my heroes and I think it's good to have heroes. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 shows you a list of heroes. But we cannot worship men. You start worshipping Alistair Begg. You start worshipping John MacArthur. You start worshipping your own pastor. You start worshipping whoever. Jonathan Edwards or the Puritans or Spurgeon. It's good, yes, we can learn from those men. But they are not our saviour. We look away from men. We look to verse 2. We look to Christ. We look to verse 5. Our faith rests in the power of God. And Christ is the power of God. That's why Paul wants verse 4. 
That's why he wants his preaching, not in human wisdom. That's why he wants his message in the, in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. Because it's, if it's not like that, then they trust the preacher. Instead of trusting the Savior. Do you understand the importance of this? If you do not have verse 4, you do not have verse 5. You do not have spiritful preaching, then you do not have people trusting the power of God. They'll trust the wisdom of men. I tell you, you show me a church with a weak pulpit ministry and I'll show you a weak church. I'll show you sickly sheep. You show me a church with a powerful pulpit ministry, I'll, see you, I'll show you healthy Christians. You show me preaching not only from the mind, but from the heart, from the heart of God, not the heart of man. You show me preaching from the Word of God under the power of the Spirit, I'll show you a growing church. Although they may not burst in numbers, they'll be healthy. And some people don't believe that. I'm not talking about non-Christians, I'm talking about Christians. They think I just need to preach the word, the work will get done. They do not trust the power of the Spirit. They're not on their knees, they're just in their study. Or you get Christians, they think I can just go on on my own. I can go on with my Bible and myself and the internet, YouTube. I'll go on just as strong as any Christian. You will not. You will not. You are denying verse 4 and 5 if you say that. You are denying that God has given pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That we can grow to maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You are denying over and over again the Apostle Paul, where the Apostle Paul again and again says to the Christians, pray for my preaching. Pray that the word would come with boldness and with clarity that people will be changed. Open door for the gospel. God has chosen preaching. To save and to sanctify. As the main way and the great way. To let us grow. Chapter 1 verse 21. In the wisdom of God. The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach. To save those who believe. Oh it looks so foolish to people. This little message about a crucified Messiah. That's God's method. He wants to shame the world to say. You think you're wise you're not. My, if, if I could say it respectfully, says Paul, God's, God's foolishness is wiser than your wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than man's strength. How will they hear without someone preaching? How will they believe if they did not hear? How will they hear if no one preaches? How will they preach if they're not sent? God uses preaching. It's His method. We all know 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures inspired by God or breathed out by God. Kids, you remember this from kids, from kids Club? All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. How does God bring those scriptures to us? Two verses down. Timothy, preach the word. Preaching. May I close with a word or two of application? Some of you are concerned, you're worried, because you've got family members who aren't growing spiritually. 
They're Christians, but they like weak Christians. They like candy floss Christians. And I'm sure many of you can make a connection. Why are they not growing? Or you've got family members who aren't saved. They go to church, but they're not saved. Why aren't they saved? I think you can make a connection. They're resting not in the power of God, their faith. Why not? Because there's no preaching in the power of the Spirit. There's weak preaching. There is life coaching. There's little lessons, moral lessons. There are little stories and jokes in the pulpit. But there's not preaching. There's not preaching of Christ, the Word of Christ, the person of Christ, in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. So, so what should you pray for those family members? Many of you, myself included, we're praying that they will be saved. Or we're praying that they would grow spiritually, but we're praying wrong. We're praying wrongly. We shouldn't just be praying for them. You and I should pray, send them a preacher. A real preacher. One who preaches in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. One who preaches Christ and Him crucified. One who is given to Christ. He's sold out to Christ. And where that happens, if they sit under such preaching year in, year out, you'll see them grow, you'll see their marriages change, you'll see their parenting change, you'll see their lives change. There's a direct connection. We need such preaching. Pray it for the church. Pray it for this church. Pray it for South Africa, that God would raise up such men. You will only do that. You will only pray like that, you and I, if we believe with Charles Spurgeon. Without the Holy Spirit, our best attempts mean nothing. It's in vain. And I quote, close with these quotes from Spurgeon. It's better to speak six words in the power of the Holy Spirit than to preach 70 years worth of sermons without Him. You can preach till your tongue rots. Till we should exhaust our lungs and die. But not one soul will be saved unless this mysterious power of the Holy Spirit goes with the preaching. Oh, sirs, we might as well preach to stone walls as preach to humanity unless the Holy Spirit be with His Word and give this Word a power to convert the soul. Lord, add your blessing to the preaching of your word. For Jesus' sake, amen.